Our declaration is this is the day the Lord has made. Amen, amen, amen. As I told you, I've been studying that declaration book, and there is so much power in the words that we proclaim over our life. And it's important that we speak words that will bring life into our situation as opposed to death and discouragement. Today, I'm going to be finishing up on the last message on our superhero series. And I've really enjoyed the, the time uh, spending to you about the Holy Spirit inside of us, how we were created to be more than conquerors, to be superheroes in this world today. But it also makes me realize that <clears throat> there's times where many of us don't feel like we're superheroes. In fact, even this week we, we attended an event and, and uh, one of the speakers at this uh, dinner that we went to said, do you know why you were created? And I'm going to ask you that. Do you know why God created you? Do, are you confident? And I don't want to see any show of hands, but you know, if somebody said, do you know why you were created? Could you answer that? Do you know what your spiritual giftings are? Do you know what your calling is? Do you know why God created you for such a time as this? See, the speaker this week was talking to us about how important it was that we were born during this time. There is no accident in the time that you were created. God has you here at this time for a certain reason, a particular cause, a certain calling on your life to fulfill. So it's important that we understand that we were created with a reason and a cause. But I think also in the body of Christ, many of us feel like we're unable to be that superhero in Christ. Many of us feel like we're not qualified to be that superhero in Christ. Some of us just don't feel that super at times. And we feel like we've gone into a routine and life is just wearing down at us. And we cry out and we know and we've tasted and seen so much more of God, but just there seems like there's a season when we're going through and we're not hearing from God and, and nothing is happening in our family or our workplace or our finances or our schooling that, that are encouraging us. You know, I've preached on mountaintop experiences and valley experiences, but I also want you to know that the God of the mountaintops is also the God of the valleys. No matter what your season is, God is still God, and He is still sovereign, and He is still faithful. Even when we are not faithful, God is still faithful. So it's important that we understand. Even if we're feeling defeated or discouraged. Now I want you to know, I, I had this message even before this week's election, and I thought, you know God, that seems like it's going to be a little bit of a downer, because you know, but God knows. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what your situation is, you are a superhero in his eyes. You may feel, Pastor Mark, you know, I'll amen you, but I really feel ordinary. I feel very ordinary. Have you ever felt ordinary? Have you ever just felt like you're just plain vanilla in that bluebell sea of ice cream? And it's just, that's it. There's nothing special about me. But did you know that bluebell vanilla is their most popular flavor? Did you know that it's the only flavor made at the, at the um, uh, dairy, brewery, not brewery. <laughs> what kind of bluebell are you drinking? No. <laughs> Brenham, but it's a, called a creamery. Yes, somebody needs a star back there. So it is the, their homemade vanilla is the only flavor made every day of the year. 
So there's something about being vanilla. This morning, I want to take a look at somebody who's very ordinary, that God took from a zero to being a superhero. I also want you to know that this message is reflective in no matter what stage of life you're in. You can't say, well, Mark, I'm already in my 50s, 60s, 70s. This has nothing to do with me. Or you may say, well, I'm still in school, so I haven't really been prepared yet. I think that the moment that we receive Jesus Christ in our heart and Savior, our focus should automatically turn to outward, to be focusing on others, to be an encouragement, to be a light, to be strength to those who are weak, because the greater one resides inside of us. Today we're going to be taking a look at a gentleman named Gideon. Now if you've been in a, a hotel in the last, you know, 20, 30 years and you pull open one of the drawers, you'll see a Gideon Bible. It's placed there, but that group is actually named after a gentleman named Gideon and we're going to look at his life briefly in Judges uh, chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Judges 6. But while you're change, turning there, I want to give you a little background on the story that we're about to go into. First off, we understand Moses was a great leader and he led the children out of Egypt. And then Joshua was a mighty man and he takes the children of Israel and he leads them. He takes the mantle from, from Moses and leads. But then something happens and, and Joshua dies and a lot of the generation of Joshua dies and all of a sudden the children of Israel start becoming spiritually lazy. And when they become spiritually lazy, they start worshiping some of the idols. Baal was predominantly the, the worship uh, false god at the time. They also start suffering under other areas and regions and, and their tribes. And they start crying out to God. Now, if you read through Judges, this cycle happens frequently. They'll have a deliverer. They'll have a great time. Then that generation dies off and they start going back to their old ways. Then they get into bondage and then they cry out and then God sends them another deliverer and it goes on and on and on. And I was praying to God and I was saying, couldn't they see? And he said, Mark, this generation has forgotten what previous generations have done for this country. We've given up. We've forgotten on some of the, the rights and privileges that we have because as that video showed, some gave all so that we could boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And yet we take it for granted. We turn our affections to other things. We get distracted. We have more bombarding us today ever before. It's important that we understand that Gideon is one of the people that God uses to raise up during this time. Now what happens is this. The Midianites are a tribe. Now actually if you look back in Numbers chapter 31, we think that they're completely wiped out, but they repopulate, they grow, and they become a force to be reckoned with. And what happens is about every year during a harvest time, they get together with several other tribes and they come in and they devastate the land of Israel. They take all of the crops, they take the cattle, they take everything, they just hoard the whole place and literally what's happening is they are in a way starving out the children of Israel. It is a systematic way of destroying them a little by little but being able to reap the rewards. So they would work and they would try to harvest but just as harvest was about to happen it would be stolen from them. Their cattle, every, all of their livelihood would be stolen. And this has been going on now for about seven years. 
if you study time cycles, look at how many years that was happening. Seven years. Many times we'll see the seven years uh, in the Bible in reference to uh, uh, a completion of a cycle. But let's take a look at Judges, verses six, uh, Judges 6, 11 through 17. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under Terebinth at Corbeth, at uh, Obereth, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go, into, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do, I, do not I send you? And he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then, then show me a sign that, is, that it is you who speaks with me. So we're going to go over a little passage here. I'd really love to read the whole passage to you because it's just such a great story. But the Lord tells him to, to go out and tear down the, the, the poles of Asherah and the temple of Baal. And so Gideon, the mighty man of valor, is, he waits till nighttime to go do it so he doesn't get seen doing it. But he gets turned on and, and the city fathers come to him and they're trying to, to kill Gideon. And, and Gideon's father says, hey, why don't you let Baal take care of himself? You know, if he's a mighty God, let him deal with him. So they back off and said, okay, this is all right. And so he makes a meal and we're going to join back in the story here in verses 36 through 40. And then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am... Uh, laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry all on the ground around it, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And, it, and, and verse 38, And it was so, when he arose the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Verse 39, Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me, but let me speak just, just one more time. Please let me test just once more with a fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece and, and all the ground around it be filled with dew. And the Lord and God did so that night, and, the, and it was dry on the fleece only, and all the ground around there was dew. Now, in chapters 7 and 8, we see that there's 32,000 men coming against Israel. In fact, one passage says that you could even not even count their camels. They were, uh, the number was just so mighty. Um, well, I'm sorry, there were 32,000 men that uh, Gideon arranged to, to fight against the children, the Midianites and such, because there were 135,000 Midianites. And we're going to see that God whittles that number down to 300 to fight against them. And the reason why God whittles down that number is so that God would take credit for this victory. 
He did not want the children of Israel to boast in their own selves. First, they got a leader who's doubting. He's being called a mighty man of valor. He's saying, okay, God, if this will happen, do this. Now, don't get mad at me, but do this. And I think that God allowed this passage to be in here for us because there's so many times that God has called us to do something. And we said, but God, would you mind just showing me? Would you confirm this? And I want you to see that God is not angry with Gideon because he's low in faith. But he's encouraging him and growing him. In fact, one of the first things he tells Gideon to do is just go into your own town, pull down the idols. Would you just do that? And of course he did it. Obedience is, is great, but he did it at night under the cover of darkness. Thank you. I, <laughs> but there's some things I'd like for us to look at just in this little passage. Number one, if you're taking notes, focus on who God says you are. You see, God calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. And in this society, in his society, nobody. And so, he's even telling God, look, my, my, my clan is not the greatest. My, my family's not the greatest. And, and behold, I'm, I'm the least in my family. He's saying, you dialed the wrong number here, God. In fact, he's probably thinking, that tribe over there, they, they are always the show-offs. That's who you should be calling, because that's going to be the next leader of Israel. And what Gideon is saying is, God, I, I can't be used. You, you don't know who I am. You know what's important to know is that not only does God know who you are, God knows who He is. Amen. You see, we focus on ourselves so much, we forget who God really is and what God can do. With God, all things are possible. We look at our limitations, but God sees us and the potential lying inside of us if we're just obedient. Do you ever feel like a Gideon? That just, you can't make anything go right? Discouraged? And if God did call you today and said, Behold, I want you to, to, to do this, you'd start almost arguing with them? This is not the best time for me, God. I'm not in the best health right now. My credit score is way low. What if they check my credit score, God? What, what about that? My credit cards are tapped out, God. See, God doesn't look at all of the circumstances that we're looking at that will disqualify us. He's just looking at people that said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Maybe this tough economy has affected you. Maybe you're not able to do what you thought you'd be able to do. We see here that Gideon is barely getting by. Notice where Gideon is. Many messages have been preached on this about the wine press. Wine presses were, were pretty much in ground, and where they would thrash the wheat is pretty much above ground. For those of you who don't know, because our society doesn't thrash wheat a lot, you would, uh, you would step on the, the wheat and, and the, um, the grass and, and such, and then what you do is you throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow the, 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 the grass aside, and the wheat would fall down, and you collected that. Well, down in a wine press, which is more like a basement, there is no wind. Isn't it also interesting that he's in a wine press when they haven't had a crop in seven years? They've all been stolen. So where do you think would be the one place that the Midianites would not be checking for you? Because they know you don't have any grapes. A wine press. So Gideon is down in here and he's just trying to get by. In fact, he's trying to get unnoticed. 
Have you ever tried to go through life just unnoticed? You know, I know in school there were times where it's like, you know, I actually did a reverse psychology thing with some of my professors. I made great eye contact. I nodded like I knew everything, and I rarely got called upon. I found out that when I looked down and I was like, I was studying, I got called on all the time. So I went more offensive than defensive, and I'm just standing there smiling like, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever, and they never called on me. I have no idea what that had to do with this message, but that was just a little tidbit from... But you know, there's, there's times when we try to be invisible. There's times when there's a corporate meeting. We don't want to go into that room. There's times when your neighbors are all getting together. We don't want to be out there. We just want to go through life. We just want to, we want to time out, God. Have you ever been in a point in your life where you just said, God, I just want to time out? A lot of us go through, God, there's, and you know what? I think God's just seeing that as, let's go, God, let's go. Well, we're thinking it's time out. He's like, I want to push that. And this is what Gideon's doing. He's, he's hiding. He's just trying to make a little bit of living. He's living in caves. In fact, some of these caves, as I was researching, could hold up to 4,000 people. They're living like sub-creatures because of the oppression from the tribes around them. That's what sin will do to us. They sinned. They started worshiping Baal. They forgot all the victories that God had done. And sin will bring you into bondage where you're living in dark basements. You're hanging out in bars. Do you realize that there's no windows in bars? They don't want you to see sunlight. They don't want you to see anything. They want you in that area so that you'll turn to alcohol as your relief and not the Son of God. Amen. Thank you. It's important that we see, we see what Gideon is going through because their food is being stolen, their provision is being stolen, their lives are being threatened, their cattle are being taken. They are victims at this time in life. And all of a sudden the angel of the Lord says, behold, mighty man of valor. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what God says about you or are you going to believe what you're saying about yourself? Are you going to believe what God is saying about you? Or what are you believing what your, your spouse is saying to you? Or your, your boss or your teacher? This is when we have to know who we are in Christ. Because there will be people that will constantly be putting you down. People who will be doubting your abilities. But I want you to know, with God, all things are possible. I truly, truly believe that. I truly believe that with God, all things are possible. I think God could use one of these microphone stands to preach a message to you that would be mightily, mightier than anything I could ever come up with. Because He's God. It's important that we understand. We have to understand that we may be in that wine press right now, but God sees us as victors. You may be thinking, I'm just trying to get through life right now. Stop focusing on who you say you are and start focusing on who God says you are. It's important that we understand whose we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And God can do all things through us. He just needs us to be willing. You are a child of the Most High God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and Savior, you are a child of the Most High God. Demons know about it. I don't think some of the body of Christ know about it, but demons know what that means. John 1.12 says, but, all, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. You are valuable to God. I want you to know that you are valuable to God. 
Jesus tells us that we are valuable because even in Matthew 6.26 it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? It's saying that we are valuable to God. You may not feel valuable right now. In fact, you may not feel like you're a superhero. And I want to encourage you that God comes to where we are and encourages step by step to be all that we can be in Him. In our own eyes, even in the eyes of our family, they may not be thinking that we have what it takes to be successful. There are many people who will define your success. The only person that needs to define your success is your Creator. You need to please Him more than anything else. It doesn't matter how much money you make or what car you drive or what designer you wear or how many degrees are behind your name, and all of those are great things. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God's approval in everything. Do not use the things of this world to try to impress other people. If anything, let's try to impress God in all that we're willing to do, even as a small church. It's important that we understand. See, the reality is God is not dependent on us doing anything. He'll find someone else that will do it. I want us to be the ones that are willing to do it. And he says, you know what? There's a town in Pantego. There's the church. That's my body right there. I know every one of them. And that group of believers has the audacity to test me in everything because, they, they, because they've stood on the word. On. That's the kind of reputation I'd love to have. That go-to person. That go-to body of believers. When God says, you know what? Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time for that remnant to raise up. Now is the time for change in our society. Now there's a time. And you know what? I've got about 68, 88 people down in Pantigo, and I'm ready to go. Amen. That's us. But we have to understand who God says about ourselves and not about who the world is trying to define us. There will always be people trying to define you. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chooses what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chooses what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Amen. What he's saying is, depend more on me and less on yourselves. Right. That's really what this passage is saying. We're not all that, but God is. And if we're willing and obedient, we'll do great and mighty things. Gideon couldn't boast of the victory that you're about to read at in chapter 7 and 8 because God whittled them down to 300 people. 300 people versus 135,000? That's right. But God. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is realize that God is always faithful. Gideon had very weak faith. I think we were able to see this. He's taking a nobody. He's preparing him for leadership. And we're seeing the weakness of him. The way he's testing God. The fleeces that he's sending out. We even see after he knows that God has said he's true and will raise him up to be a leader. I believe that God is encouraging his faith. 
We read in Judges 6:36 and 37 earlier, it says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying this fleece out. Do this, God. No, wait, don't get mad at me. Tomorrow I want you to do the same thing, but just reverse. God's allowing us to see that Gideon still had some doubt. But I want you to know that the Word of God says that even if we have mustard-sized faith... Now, Romans um, 12.3 tells us that all of us have been given a measure of faith. Matthew 17 tells us that it could be the size of a mustard, the smallest of all seeds. But we've all been given a measure of faith. No matter who you are, atheists still have that measure of faith. Because we're created with that measure of faith. And I'm going to tell you that sometimes low faith seems like no faith. I'll tell you that from my own experience. There have been times that my faith has been very low and I felt like I had no faith. But I went to God's Word and I've been told I have a measure of faith. So I have to stand on that. I have to stand even on that, that tiny pin dot of a faith that I have. And trust God. God is patient with us. I want you to notice here in, in 2 Timothy 2.3, it says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. See, what's great about this passage is we don't see God disciplining and destroying Gideon because of his lack of faith. We see God building him to become the leader that he needs to be, the superhero. We see God encouraging him and taking him step by step. Sometimes the greatest steps that we have to take is just the next step forward. We see this happening. Gideon knew what God wanted him to do. Gideon just needed encouragement to go do it. Some of you have said, I don't know what God's called me to do. That leads to point number three. Act in the obedience that comes from your faith. Now we know that from Scripture that the Midianites had 35,000 people in their army, and Gideon had 32,000. Now if you do the math, that's one in four, okay? Now this isn't a soccer match. This isn't a football game. This is fighting till death. Do you understand? So when Gideon calls out and he can round up 32,000 men, I'm sure that the conversation is, did you hear how many there are in the Midianites? Wouldn't you? I mean, honestly, if I were leading you, there's 32,000 of us and there's 135,000 of them, how many of y'all would just be thinking, Am I in the right team? Right? I mean, how many of us would love to see the Cowboys today play? And we get to put our whole team out there, and we only get to put three of the Philadelphia Eagles out there all, at any time. Now, wouldn't that be great? I mean, do you talk about having a winning season? If we could get all the other football teams to agree to only put three of their players out, and we'll put all 12 of ours out, and I think we might win. And I said might. No, just kidding. <laughs> I told you there's signs I'm low in faith right now. I'm standing on that pinpoint of faith for my Cowboys. But think about this. You'd be watching the TV screen saying, that's not fair, even if you weren't for that other team. So what happens is God comes to Gideon and says, you know what? Tell anyone who's scared to go home. So can you imagine the announcement? Hey, if you're scared and you don't want to go fight, go on home. And 22,000 of them leave. 
two-thirds. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, I preached a message that I really, really loved. It was talking about the, the procession of Jesus coming into the city and the procession of death coming out of the city. And they met at the city gates. Do you remember that message? And there's something that I taught y'all that day. That a lot of times we'll see things and we can be moved by sympathy. That's such a sad story. This widow who lost her husband now has lost her son. But it said that Jesus was moved with compassion. And if you remember that message, I talked to you about compassion requires us to get involved in a situation. Compassion takes us beyond sympathy and gets us involved in a situation, a cause. Whether it's abused children, whether it's the hungry, whether it's warm, getting blankets for homeless people, whether it's whatever the case it is, it's compassion that moves you off the couch and into a cause. We can all have sympathy. We can see something on the news and say, that is just so sad that, that somebody dropped 30 puppies along the side of the road. But we don't do anything about it. And all of a sudden somebody says, you know what? I could do something about that. That's when compassion is kicking in. The 22,000 that left, I feel had no compassion. I mean, they were defending Israel. This wasn't, hey, do you guys want to just go play some tag football out on the field? This was going to be defending our, our homes to stop the cycle of theft from our lives. Do you understand? For seven years, they've been coming in, taking all of our harvest, taking our food, probably taking our, our family and, and doing horrible things to our... And you'd rather go home because I don't want to fight them. No compassion. I wonder if the church will go through persecution and we'll see two-thirds of the church drop away because they had no compassion. They didn't truly understand the calling on their life. They didn't understand the redeeming grace. They didn't understand what Christ did on the cross. They didn't understand the past that says, take up your cross and follow me. Just a point to think about. But Gideon now has them down to a smaller group. 10,000. And God says, you know what? That's still too many. I want you to take them down, let them get a drink of water. Those that cup the water and bring it up to their heads because they're constantly watching, those are the ones I want you to take. The others that put their heads down and lap up the water are not paying attention to what's happening around them. I want us to be a church that's fully aware of what's happening around us. Constantly on guard. The watchman's on the wall. Compassion driven, not just requirement driven. You see, your relationship with Christ should not be a religion, it should be a relationship. It should be what drives you, what, what moves you, what you're, you're willing to serve. Give everything that you have to the cause. As opposed to something we just go through on Sunday mornings because we like the music. And maybe every once in a while I make you smile and I'm cheaper than cable television in your life. I don't know. <laughs> but that could be those 22,000, that two-thirds that will say, you know what, I'd rather go back to the way it's going to be. You know, there's almost a whole message just on those 22,000 that said, 
I'd rather not fight and just keep it the way it's going. Right? Because if you're not going to go fight with the others, chances are the devastation is going to continue to happen. How many of us are being called to go fight and we're saying, we'd rather stay. We're, we're okay. We want time out right now. So it's interesting if you look through the passage and see how Gideon takes 300 men and defeats 135,000 and even chases them, okay? I mean, I'm not even going to tell you because I'd love for you to just go into Judges chapter 7 and 8 and see how God does this. You see, God calls us to obey Him. Our success is in our obedience to Him. God did not tell Gideon the plan beforehand. If not, Gideon said, that is a great idea. We can do that. First, you've got to step out of that boat in obedience, and then God's going to say, okay, here's the next step. Here's the next step. What we're all waiting for is the grand plan to be revealed to us in some wonderful worship service, and then we'll check it off, say, you know what? I think I can do that. And what God is just saying is, stand up. Get involved. Start worshiping me. I'll reveal more to you, but quit waiting for the whole grand scheme to be just brought to you in some heavenly booklet that's going to drop into you, and you're going to go through and see if it meets your approval and sign off on it. It doesn't happen that way. And let me tell you, the things that you tell God you're never going to do, be careful. Those are the things that are coming your way, okay? Just please, shut your mouth on that when you want to say, God, I'll never... I remember something Mark said. All right, God, just whatever you want to be. Because I'll tell you what, crow does not taste well. <laughs> it's acting obedience in the small things. You know what? If God tells you just to fold chairs, fold chairs. Be the best chair folder you've ever seen anybody. Stack more chairs than anyone else. Make sure they're all aligned and just say, God... I stack chairs. If God calls you in the nursery, go and teach those children as if they were theologians and tell them how much God loves them and how much they have a future and a hope. You see, really, if you think about it, if you get into the message, what's going on in those rooms are more important than what's going on here in God's eyes because He loves the children. They come to Him in open hearts. We come to Him with all our garbage. And yet we put the children's ministry over to the side. She said, don't forbid them to come unto me. Sometimes it's the small steps of obedience that are large steps in God's eyes. What God has placed in front of you will help you grow in faith and prepare you to be used in extraordinary ways. I want you to know we spend way too much time worrying about God's plan instead of just following it. We spend way too much time worrying about God's plan instead of just following it. Each day waking up saying, God, what would you want me to do today? And do it with all your might. No, Pastor Mark, I'm waiting for the big plan. Good luck on that, okay? Because it's daily obedience that leads us to God's plans for our lives. As I close, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts.
There are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What this passage is saying is that we, on this earth, will never figure God out completely. We will not have answers on why bad things happen to good people, or why certain things didn't happen in our lives. Or if we said, God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give 80% of it to your church. We don't know why we were born into the family we were born into. We don't know why circumstances haven't happened the way that we thought they should happen. We don't know why elections go certain ways. But we do have God's Word. And God's Word is truth. And truth will always set you free. This whole process of finding out why you were created, why God allowed you to be born during this time, comes from one, having a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Understanding that on your own, you'll never get to heaven. Good works, a good name, a lot of money, good looks, won't get you into heaven. And then Brad Pitt, if you're listening to this, you need to get saved. See, some of us rely on the wrong things. And it says that only at the name of Jesus can we be saved. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed, I want to give you a very simple opportunity to probably say the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your life. And it's just asking for forgiveness, asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart as your safe and Lord. And asking him then, God, why did you create me? I want to be a superhero for you. I want the Holy Spirit inside of me to do great and mighty things. I want to make a difference in my lifetime. I would love to be able to look back on this sanctuary or, or our neighborhood and see families that were changed because you allowed me to speak truth into their lives. You allowed me to love them unconditionally. You allowed me to speak truth into their lives and bring them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. This week we heard from a, a Messianic Jew, and a Messianic Jew means that they have received Jesus Christ not only as the prophet, but as the Messiah. And he said that he was in college, and every day this young lady would come and say to him, ask him about a relationship with Jesus Christ. He kept saying, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish. And she just kept asking him questions. So what does that mean? What do you think? Where's your Messiah and all this? And he started going back and he goes, for the very first time, he opened up the Bible and he started looking at the New Testament and he realized that Jesus was a Jew. He had never been taught that. And all of a sudden he saw the festivals. He saw everything that, he saw all the prophecies that Jesus had fulfilled. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And now he's a rabbi at one of the largest um, uh, uh, synagogues in, in Dallas. All because somebody kept asking him questions. Not taking his rejection. Just asking him great loving questions. What does that mean? Where are you going? What is this? What is that? And all of a sudden he just started getting into the Word. We have that ability to make change in other people's lives. Even when they say I'm an atheist. 
Even when they say, I'm, I'm Jewish, or I'm this, or I'm Muslim, start asking them questions. That's why I love what Paul is about to lead us in in the, in the week after next. Because it's going to challenge us on how to just use our relationships to bring people to Christ. Right now, I just want to make sure that every one of us, or if you're listening to this message on the internet, you have that opportunity. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your love. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am saved. Amen. First step. Second step. Third step. Do you know how you get to 23 years of marriage? Millions and millions and millions of little steps. Every once in a while you take a step backwards, but she forgives you and you make another step forward. <laughs> you know how you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Millions of little steps. A scripture at the right time, sharing it. A worship time. Just proclaiming the name of Jesus at a random time. Traffic gets bad, just start worshiping God. Bad news comes in, just start giving thanks. I do need to tell you that next week is my very favorite message of the whole year to preach. You'd say, oh, it should, be, it, should be, uh, it should be Christmas or it should be Easter. No, it's Thanksgiving. You see, Christmas is Easter focused on what Christ did for us. Thanksgiving is what we can do for Him. And I love that message. I think I would drag myself here and preach it sick just because I love that message and I want to encourage you to be here. Would you please stand as we dismiss today? This week, as I told you, we got to, to hear some speakers. And uh, the rabbi came back up and goes, I'd like to do a traditional Jewish dismissal. And he did it in Hebrew. I recorded it. Because it was just so great. There's so much power in the blessing. To receive the blessing. And as I looked up, we were on the, actually the floor of the Cowboy Stadium. Hundreds, hundreds, thousands of people all sitting there. And as I looked around, all the hands were raised receiving that blessing. And I think every week we have that opportunity. So today I'm just asking you just this one time, would you raise your hands while I speak this blessing over you and receive this blessing? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. Go in His peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We love you so very, very much.